0: The victory is yours sin and death are defeated because of your son Jesus this is the victory in which we rest the victory in which we revel and we worship your son because of it Help us begin this journey of Lent, this journey of hope and longing, faith and expectation. Give us your rest. Help us to not strive for victory, but to rest in your victory. Continue your work in us this morning through the power of your Holy Spirit who dwells in each one of your children. Now as we hear from your word, illuminate it, work through it. Give your servant Pastor Rick the words to speak the wisdom to share the truth to proclaim. Give us ears to hear hearts. to receive, and then to do what your word says. Thank you for receiving our worship this morning. You are worthy of it. And it's in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, that all God's people said, amen and amen. You can be seated as we continue in worship. Thank you.
1: Welcome. I am so glad you're here. As I look around, um, some of you have been away. You've been sick. You've been taking care of loved ones. You you finally made it to a live service. How exciting is that for, for all of us? Do you ever just thank the Lord for the opportunity we get to meet together every single Sunday? Well, you know what? Today we continue our focus on the Sermon on the Mount. I'd like to review just a little bit. But these folks who are hearing this message were more than ready for the long-awaited Messiah. Messiah. Jesus began his sermon by focusing on what he called normal. But to all these folks, normal was new. He described a completely new way of living, thinking, and being. It was a life where citizens submitted completely to the king. The description was so shocking, but also so attractive. Jesus was describing a beautiful new world, a world where God's kids walk perfectly with their father, resulting in kids that love, honor, and respect others. You know, Christ's words have the same effect today. We've heard some. God blesses those who are poor, those who are broken, those who are so dependent upon him. God blesses those who mourn, see their sin as heinous as God sees it. God blesses those who are meek, those who are humble, God blesses those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. God blesses those who are merciful. God blesses those whose hearts are pure because they see God. Have those words sunk into you? Have you been letting Christ's words marinate It inspires, it convicts. It it makes me thirsty for a a richer relationship with the Almighty God. I want that. I want God to approve as I walk with him. You know, today Jesus talks about the next natural progression for a kingdom patriot. And he says this, they will work for peace. Let's read. It's in Matthew chapter 5, verse 9. God blesses those who work for peace, for they will be called the children of God. Before we dig in, let's pray. Father, I thank you again for your patience with me, with us, For some reason, God, we struggle with listening to you. You have been faithful. You have been gracious. You have been kind. You have been generous. But God, somehow there are times we listen to the enemy and want to satisfy our own selfish needs, thinking that we are the most important Oh God, we come before you today wanting to learn. We desire to be taught by the Spirit and we desire to live lives that will please you. Lord, we pray for all these local churches in our area, churches that are proclaiming your word. This morning though, God, I'm going to pray for those humongous churches the Harvest Bible Chapel and the Willow Creek Community Church and the chapel we pray dear God that as these churches gather that you would empower the leadership and they would teach your word well and they would listen we thank you for the way that your kingdom has advanced because of these churches. God, we look around at our church and and we recognize, Father, that you are doing a work here and we want to thank you. We appreciate all those folks who are downstairs right now teaching our kids about who you are. We're grateful for all the ministries that happen all week long inside these walls and outside these walls. We pray, dear Lord, that we would hear your voice and that we would obey you and that we would be salt and light. We thank you. We also know, Father, that our world and our nation is in a mess. We know, Father, that people are suffering, people are hurting, people are discouraged. We ask, Father, that you would use these events to draw people to yourself and that the church would rise up and be able to point people to you. We thank you again, God, for your presence in our journey so that we don't have to walk through life by ourselves. We love you and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Matthew chapter 5, verse 9. God blesses those who work for peace, for they will be called the children of God. God approves of those who actively work for peace, for they will be called the children of God forever. We need to look at what peace actually looks like. And and I probably just need to pause for one moment and, and just say this. I am so grateful for all the tools that are available to teachers today. Uh, Unbelievable if I look back and back, you, you know, 40 years ago when I just started pastoring and teaching. I'm especially grateful for Pastor John MacArthur and his commentary, and so grateful for these folks who have gone before, scholars, to help us understand and rightly divide God's Word. You know, the Jewish shalom means much more than have a calm, conflict-free day. It means you may experience God's highest good. God's highest good is peace or harmony between you and God and you and humans. This greeting helps us understand a little bit on how Jesus used peace. You see, the peace of which Christ speaks about in this Beatitude is about what the rest of the Scripture speaks. And it is unlike that which the world knows and strives for. God's peace doesn't have warring parties leave the table feeling defeated and angry. God's peace, the peace of which the Bible speaks, never evades issues. Listen to this. It does not gloss or hide or rationalize or excuse. It confronts problems and seeks to solve them. And after problems are addressed, it builds a bridge between those who are separated. Peacemaking is neither being nice as it's defined today or being tolerant again as it's defined today Rather, it's an active entrance into the conflict for the purpose of creating unity and reconciliation and peace. The peace that Jesus speaks about happens when two people are walking with God, living underneath the lordship of Christ and representing him well as he lives. The most that man's peace can offer is a truce the temporary stuffing of disagreements and hatreds where they fester grow and eventually break out again god's peace however not only stops the hostilities but addresses the issues and brings the parties together in mutual love in harmony Two people cannot be at peace until they recognize and resolve the wrong attitudes and actions that cause the conflict between them. And then they bring themselves to God for cleansing and healing. Sin is at the heart of all conflict, regardless of the circumstances. The best anyone can do is a truce. If you don't address the sin. Peacemaking cannot come by circumventing sin. Because sin is the source of every conflict. Believers can't avoid facing truth or facing others with truth for the sake of harmony. Jesus never sidestepped wrong or excuse me, Jesus never sidestepped wrong doctrine or behavior. God's truth disrupts and disturbs, which forces us to address the issues of sin. God's peacemakers will not let a sleeping dog lie if the actions or attitudes are opposed to God's truth. They will not protect the status quo if it is ungodly and unrighteous. They are not willing to make peace at any price. God's peace only comes when people are willing to address their selfishness and lack of obedience to the Father. Well, who are peacemakers? What what do peacemakers look like? Well, peacemakers are, first of all, people who make peace with God initially and continually. In other words, we own our own sin. Later on in Matthew, you will hear Jesus talk about taking the log out of your own eye before you deal with someone else's issues. The neat thing is, is that Jesus Christ came 2,000 years ago to die on the cross and to pay our debt for sin and to satisfy God's wrath and provide for us our salvation so that we could be called the sons and the daughters of God. In Romans chapter 5, verse 1, therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. So, first of all, if you're going to be a peacemaker, you need to have peace with God. It means coming into a relationship with God. But once that happens, we need to stay connected with God. We spent quite a few time last week looking at that but in proverbs chapter 28 verse 13 the scriptures say people who conceal their sins will not prosper but if they confess and turn away from them they will receive mercy so if you want to be a peacemaker first of all you need to be a son or a daughter of god and as you continue in life you're sensitive of your sin you're confessing your sin you're becoming clean you're walking with our god secondly people who help others make peace with god are also peacemakers initially again it is something that many of us have the privilege of being able to share the good news, the message of grace, to others who are not yet redeemed, that don't know the Lord. You desire deeply for them to have a relationship with God just like you have a relationship with God. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18, the apostle Paul writes this, And God has given us, all those that know Jesus, This task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting men's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. Or as God just said, hey, I I want to redeem our relationship." He goes on, Paul says. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his special appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. We get to share that message. We are ambassadors of reconciliation, encouraging people to enter a relationship with God. But just like we have opportunities to share our faith story with others, we also hang out with, at times, people who are struggling, people who, well, are part of God's family but are not listening to God. So we can be peacemakers with them. In Galatians chapter 6, starting at verses 1, 2, and 3, Paul writes, Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer, one who knows Jesus, is overcome by some sin, (laughs) they're really struggling. You can be a peacemaker, all right, He says this, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path and be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. Share each other's burdens and in this way you obey the law of Christ. If you think you are too important to help someone, well, you're only fooling yourself. In Romans chapter 14, verse 19 Paul says this, let us aim, all of you who are believers, all of you that know Jesus, you're peacemakers. So let us aim for harmony in the church and try to build each other up. So peacemakers are people who make peace with God themselves to help others make peace with God and they also are people who address conflict biblically. Say, Rick, why would this be so important? Oh, by the end of this message, I think you're going to understand how important peacemaking and unity really is. You see, peacemakers address the disharmony and are engaged in a ministry of reconciliation and restoration, entering the troubled waters in order to bring a calm. Peacemakers are active. The scriptures tell us that you take action if you know someone has a beef against you. Or you take action if someone has hurt you. You're in Matthew. We're in chapter 5. Just go a little bit further down to Matthew chapter 5, verse 23. Jesus is still teaching. This is still the Sermon on the Mount, and we will literally go into this a little bit deeper. But in verse 23, Jesus says this, Hey, If you are presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple, in other words, let me paint the picture. There's some very God-fearing people and they're going into the temple and they're bringing a sacrifice, just what God asked them to do. And you suddenly remember that someone has something against you. Leave your sacrifice at the altar. Go and be reconciled to that person. Then come and offer your sacrifice to God. Peacemakers are active. When they hear that someone has something against them, they don't ignore that. They don't shove it down. But they go and they make things right. Now let's go a little bit further in Matthew Matthew chapter 18 is a critical text for all believers. Jesus, again, is teaching. It's not in the Sermon on the Mount, but he starts in chapter 18 at verse 15. And and this is what Jesus says. If another believer sins against you, offends you, hurts you, stuff it, and pretend it never happened. Just kidding. It doesn't say that. If another believer sins against you, go, go. This is active. This is not sitting back. Go privately and point out the offense. If the other person listens and confesses it, you have won that person back. But if you're unsuccessful, take one or two others with you and go back again so that everything you say may be confirmed by two or three witnesses. If that person refuses to listen, take your case to the church. Then if he or she won't accept the church's decision, then treat that person as a p- pagan or a corrupt tax collector. Wow. Then Jesus goes on. He says, I tell you the truth. Whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven, and whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. I also tell you this, if two of you agree here on earth concerning anything you ask, my Father in heaven will do it for you. For where two or three gather together are my followers I am there in the midst. Jesus is basically saying, if you listen to me, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to be right there with you. And this is so very, very critical. Not only in the church, but in many other places, we skip step one. We'd rather talk about people Maybe even in the name of Jesus we talk about people. But the scriptures tell us that when there is a problem, you go personally. And if the response isn't good, that's when you bring two or three others. And if it's still not good, that's when you get the church involved. Why? Because we want to all be jerks? No, no. Because unity is so important in the church and in the body. If there's a problem, you want to deal with the problem. You don't want to shove it aside. You see, peacemakers are active. And if you know someone has something against you, or if someone has hurt you, the scriptures say you need to go. It can happen in your household. It can happen in a church. It can happen on a mission trip. It actually can happen anywhere. But that's the scripture. The scripture is God blesses those who are peacemakers who make who make the effort of peace that go after this they are not going to sit back now another thing as you address others biblically you find out that peacemakers forgive like Jesus has forgiven you see this is a hard part of peacemaking if you look at chapter 18 and you start reading verse 21 and go all the way to the end jesus talks about forgiving others right after he talks about going to brothers or sisters and he says this peter comes up peter is great don't don't you like peter he just goes to jesus jesus man i'm rather ticked he doesn't really say that but this is kind of the context He goes, I'm so tired of forgiving people. How many times do I actually have to forgive people? Three times? Seven times? Uh, How many? And Jesus at that time looks at Peter and says, oh boy, you never stop forgiving. Let me give you an illustration. I I want you to know that there was a king. and, And the king, all right, the king, well, ruled over this country. And there were some of that had a great debt. In fact, he owed the king a couple million dollars. Oh, baby. So he calls the guy in, and he literally just says, hey, I, I want to call my debt. Uh, you owe me a couple mil. Let's have it. The guy falls on his face. Oh, king, king, king. Man, I'm just never going to get this. Would you forgive my debt? And the king was gracious Says, yeah, I will do that. That guy was so happy. He was so overjoyed, man. He just got up. He ran out of the palace. He didn't have any money. So he decides, he goes, you know what? I know someone that owes me 10 bucks. I'm going to go ask him for it. And and the parable goes on. So he goes after this dude that owes him 10 bucks after he's just been forgiven for a couple million. And he shakes him. He says, hey, buddy, I need 10 bucks right now. Well, I don't have it. This guy falls on his face. He goes, you know what? I don't care. I'm tossing you in prison, and you need to give me my 10 bucks. We look at this story and say, are you kidding me? Seriously? The the guy gets forgiven? Two million dollars? And he is harping and being very ungracious to someone that owes him 10 bucks? The king hears about it. The king calls him back. And the king couldn't believe it. And he literally calls him this evil servant. This was the story that Jesus wanted Peter to hear. Hey, hey Peter, I just want you to know, I have forgiven you two million times. And you want to know something? I think it's going to be higher. I think it's going to be higher. You're a rascal. So why are you counting You need to forgive others like I forgive. How evil could you be, Peter, by not forgiving somebody? Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 31 and 32, the Apostle Paul again is is wrapping up a chapter that talks about how to walk with God, how to walk with God intimately. You know what happens? He says this get rid of all bitterness and rage and anger and harsh words and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. You walk with God, You that's not part of your life anymore. And then he says this instead, be kind to one another, tender hearted, forgiving one another just as God through Christ has forgiven you you know what's interesting forgiveness is a done deal we as Christians are to forgive things get a little bit complicated though if the people you forgive don't repent Because there can never be any restoration with those folks if there's no repentance on their part. In 2 Corinthians chapter 7, the Apostle Paul is literally talking about repentance and what it looks like. He says this for the kind of sorrow or the kind of repentance that God wants us to experience leads us away from sin and results in salvation for our own selves. There is no regret in that kind of sorrow, but worldly sorrow which lacks repentance. I'm sorry because I got caught. I'm sorry because, ooh, I guess this is a mess. No, repentance is recognizing how sin is heinous to God, how it hurts others. And there's this mourning. Well, the second beatitude. But that results in spiritual death, just see how this godly sorrow produced in you. Such earnestness, such concern to clear yourself, such indignation, such alarm, such longing to see me, such zeal, and such a readiness to punish wrong. You showed that you have done everything necessary to make it right. That's what repentance is. Do you know that? Repentance isn't some casual, hey, I'm sorry. It's, man, I hurt God. I hurt you. What can I do? How can I make this right? Who are the people I have to talk to that I defamed your name? Who is it? I've got to talk. I've got to make this right. You know, there's one scriptural example um, that doesn't seem to resolve conflict. Uh, Let me just point out, in Acts chapter 15, at the very end of that chapter, it's very interesting because the church is gathering, the church is going to send out some missionaries, and there's some conflict. Now let me read it for you, Acts 15, starting at verse 36. After some time, Paul said to Barnabas, By the way, Paul and Barnabas were missionaries on Paul's first missionary trip. They were about to start a second missionary trip. All right? And Paul said to Barnabas, Hey, let's go back and visit each city where we previously preached the Word of God to see how the new believers are doing. He wanted to encourage them. Barnabas agreed and wanted to take along John Mark. But Paul disagreed strongly since John Mark had deserted them and they, he, I'm sorry, since John Mark had deserted them and had not continued with them in their work. Their disagreement was so sharp they separated. Barnabas took John Mark with him and sailed for Cyprus. Paul chose Silas and as he left, the believers entrusted him to the Lord's gracious care. Then he traveled throughout Syria, Sicilia, strengthening the churches there. There was disagreement, and it was sharp, and it was in the midst of leadership in a church. The church was involved, but the church recognized that there were good reasons why each of these leaders felt they actually supported both of them. They separated, they left, and they did various ministries. They went their separate ways knowing that it would be best for the church and the ministry. They were peacemakers. Now here's what's cool as we come to the close of our message. Jesus said, God blesses those who work for making peace. All right? They work on it. They're active. And the promise is this. Peacemakers will be called the children of God. Both have a present and a future aspect to it. Presently, all those who are walking with God are reflecting who God is, are mirroring who God is to others. That's what obedient kids do. They reflect their father. They spend time with God, and God changes them from the inside so that your words and your actions and your thoughts begin to reflect who God is. The word for children here is used to express the dignity and the honor of a relationship of a child to his parents. You see, the church is the body of Christ. And its unity is a billboard for the world. In other words, peace among God's family is our calling. Let me say it another way, is that one of the most attractive things about the church, a church that walks with God, is that they are so unified that people want to be part of that group. They want to be part of that family. Hey, I want to hang out with you. I love how you treat others. I love how you care. I love how you serve. I want to be part of that. You know, this is so important that in John chapter 17, Jesus himself is hours away from being crucified. He's got his 12 disciples or 11 disciples at this time around him. And he is praying. He's praying for himself. He's praying for these disciples. And then just about near the end of the prayer, Jesus says something like this, and Father, I want to pray for all those people who will become part of your family because of these disciples. It's us. That's us. We have benefited from the disciples' faithfulness back in the first century. But here's what Jesus prays I pray that there's going to be lots of mega churches. I pray that, and no, this is what he prays. This is unbelievable. He says, Father, I pray that they are unified. Now, honestly, if they stopped there, I I would have probably felt better. Okay. Okay, good. Yeah, unity. Good thing. Let's do that, God. But this is what he says. He says, I pray that they are unified like you, Dad, and I are unified. What? What? I want them to be close. I want them to be connected with you. I want them to be connected with each other. This is critical. That's why if there's any division, any disunity, it needs to be dealt with. It needs to be active. Whoa. Unity doesn't mean you agree with everything. It means you don't cause division. You're supportive and encouraging. Paul warns a young pastor in Titus chapter 3. He says if people are causing divisions among you, give a first and second warning. After that have nothing more to do with them. For people like that have turned away from the truth, and their own sins will condemn them. You know, it's interesting. King David writes in Psalm 55. It's a whole psalm, and, and he's basically broken over relationships among God's people, especially some of his close friends. And he pours his heart out to God and says, yes, I understand when enemies are hurtful and I understand when, but God's people, friends of mine, oh God, give me courage, King David says. In Ephesians chapter four, verse three, very interesting what Paul talks about. He spends three chapters talking about how wonderful our position in God is. And then he starts in chapter 4 and he says, in light of you being a child of God, this is what you need to do. This is how you walk with God. Chapter 4. In verse 3 it says this. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit. Calls for action. Make Every effort. Work hard at. Wow, binding yourselves together with peace. The scriptures tell us Jesus says, We shall be called in a continuous future passive tense. Throughout eternity, peacemakers will go by the name Children of God. How amazing is that? A couple more verses. In Psalm 34, verse 14, the scripture says this, turn away from evil and do good. Search for peace and work to maintain it. Are, Are you getting how important this is? Do you realize how important this is? In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14, work at living in peace with everyone and work at living at holy life for those who are not holy will not see God. You know, it's interesting is every once in a while I have the opportunity to do premarital counseling. And one of the sessions in premarital counseling, and, and the couple usually looks at me a little odd, and the title of that Section is how to fight fair. And they look at me and say, Oh, but Pastor, we don't fight. Okay. Well, we're in love. Nice. Okay. And and, and they go on and, and I'm gonna try to convince them that they're gonna fight someday. Now, either they just got engaged yesterday and only known each other for one day, or they just keep stuffing and stuffing and stuffing and stuffing. The truth is this, is that we all need to work at relationships because Jesus said, God blesses those who work for peace. Jesus' disciples actively seek harmonious relationships with others. The person Jesus blesses goes beyond forgiveness and seeks to reconcile, not pretending there are no differences or suppressing differences, but by creating love of the other which transcends differences or permits people to hold hands in spite of their differences. Would you shut your eyes with me for a moment? Would you just be quiet before God for these next few seconds? The scriptures are so clear. Is that if there are rifts, or when there are rifts, whether you're the cause or someone else is the cause, is that you need to be active. Unity is huge. And for these next few minutes, I'd like you just to talk to God and ask him some questions. Father, is there anybody I need to go talk to? Is there anybody I need to go talk to? Lord, I don't feel like it. But God, if you want me to, I need to do that. Maybe it's someone sitting right here in this room. Maybe it's someone that you live underneath the roof with. Maybe it's someone at your workplace. Let's just be quiet and let's listen to God for a moment. If God's talking to you and you know you need to talk to somebody and you're asking God for strength and wisdom to do that I'd like to pray for you because Jesus thought is really important I know it is important Father, I thank you for your grace. I thank you that you have given us opportunity to reconcile and to be at peace with others. God, the normal thing is just to stuff it or the normal thing is just to forget it or the normal thing is not to deal with it. But family does deal with it, God. And you, and by us doing that, we reflect you. And we show others and give others a better picture of who you are. We thank you, Father, for your word. And I pray. that your words would change us radically. We pray this in your Son's name. Amen.